So we had skin in the game, is what the customer would say. In reality, we had a problem because if the customer went off on a different path, all of a sudden we have skin in the game and no power to protect it. Traditional keep it simple stupid becomes keep it indisputable stupid. Whatever calculation that you use has to be crystal clear. From Orion X, this is The Marketing Podcast. Marketing has transformed in significant ways. More technology, more data, more social, more blending of arts and sciences, more integrated with every other function, and ultimately more critical to the organization. Join Shaheen Khan and Doug Garnett as they discuss news and happenings in the world of marketing, from the boardroom to customer programs. Hi, everybody. Marketing Podcast here. Shaheen Khan here with Doug Garnett, episode number 37. How are you doing, Doug? I'm doing well. So it's that time of year when holidays are coming. So this is also our holiday edition, isn't it? It is. Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Just, hey, it's holiday time and it's that dark time of the year. So we should all enjoy it and have fun. We have cartoons and cartoons are always a good thing. So yeah, well, especially in a season that's all, a lot of it's about giving presents. So I thought we'd start with one about products. So, uh, and here we have a guy presenting to a small group. We can't tell how many are in the group. And he's standing by a chart. And at the top, it has our product in a circle. And on the bottom, it has a cat in a circle. And by the product, there's an X. By the cat, there's a check mark. And he says, our social media statistics show that people don't want our product. They want videos of cats. And (laughs) so I'm not sure what more there is to say, but yes. Uh I tell you what more there is to say about this is that it reminds me of those studies that people use in comedy shows. Mm -hmm. Like, studies suggest this, and (laughs) then you wonder, like, who funded that study and why? (laughs) (laughs) Like, was there ever any doubt that Mm -hmm. pictures of cats are going to (laughs) win? Well, this cat on the chart is actually playing the piano, so it's a pretty smart cat. I'll give it that. That's a very capable cat. On the other hand, I suppose I could ask the question of, should you really use your social media statistics to make a monumental decision like this? This is also a very good point. Just wondering, just a question. Is that the best you've got, your social media (laughs) statistics? Or if we were following Rory Sutherland, I think he would suggest that, of course, that's the case. So you do social media ads with cats and use those to get people to come look at your product. And I'm not sure he'd say that exactly. So I'm not putting, (laughs) sorry, Rory, if I put words in your mouth. But fundamentally, animals are really interesting to people. They catch our eye. We love them. And so there's a long history of animals helping ads work better. So Here's a picture of a cat. Come buy my product. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, it works, right? <laughs> if it, it, well, it, apparently it does, and and it's a little more acceptable than the picture of a nude member of the opposite sex. So we'll just or whatever. You that's know. right. That was the old model. Yeah. <laughs> before before enlightenment. So yep. last episode we talked about the Citibank logo mm-hmm. and how it was sketched in the back of the envelope, yeah. or back on a napkin, and it ended up being the logo, mm-hmm. and that precipitated a discussion of. How do you value things? How do you charge things? If you're a freelancer, if you're a marketing agency, how do you go about identifying value and in a way that you charge for it? And so let's go into that because that led to some discussions. Yeah, I thought it'd be worth following up. I mean, partly I had a discussion with my brother who's a litigator. 
and about their charging you know, methods. And, and it got me thinking about there is a small set of approaches to how do you charge when you're a service provider providing expertise of some sort, whether it's an ad agency, whether it's marketing consulting or just simply business consulting or being a lawyer or an accountant. It's a big deal. We all, a lot of our listeners, I'm pretty sure, fight the question of how do you best charge for your services? And I assume everybody has found a way that works. But it's always kind of interesting to go back and talk it over again. Of course, my brother, being a lawyer, it's and he's a litigator, it has to be hourly. There's not really a choice because if the opposing attorney introduces a motion in court that has to be dealt with this month, you can't say, oh, I don't have hours. I'm not going to deal with that for you. You're defending somebody or a plaintiff, one of the two. And so it kind of has to be that way. And I think the accountants, that makes sense as well. But there's a lot of other approaches we were talking through because I think both you and I, it sounds like worked, I certainly did in my company, worked from where we would bid a total and not track the hours and not worry about the hours. It was, this is the price and we'll get you what you need for that price. Yeah, I think if you have a feel for what the outcome needs to be, Mm -hmm. then as a customer, you can put a dollar value on it. We want to do a product launch this year. Mm -hmm. And we're allocating whatever it is, right? What can I get within that envelope? Yep. Mm -hmm. Now, usually our immediate question is, why do you want to do a product launch? (laughs) (laughs) A useful question, yes. And you'd be surprised how few people can actually answer that. Mm -hmm. It's usually Mm -hmm. like, well, isn't that like what we're supposed to do now? I say, well, sure, but tell me why. What are you trying to get out of it? But anyway... So if you have that, then you really say, okay, here's the size of the project and here's the different components and here's Mm -hmm. what we're going to go about. And you have this top total. There are also occasions where the company, especially if it's a startup, especially if it's in Silicon Valley, may offer you a combination of cash and stock. Mm-hmm. equity because they want you to have skin in the game they want you to be aligned now you're going to get minuscule amounts of stock compared to like what the founders and key key employees but there have been agencies that have done very well mm-hmm. with that if you work for a startup in the early days and they end up being another facebook mm-hmm. or another google that, that initial stock grant can be huge so in a sense we've got we could charge hourly and we could charge hourly with a retainer I mean, that's always kind of mixed in there. We can bid a total for the project. We have this possibility of like stock, or in my business, there were people who wanted to work according to a share of the profit, which stock kind of relates with that. I think commissions relate with that too in the advertising world. A lot of stuff was well. Some kind of an incentive. Yeah, some kind of incentive for an upside. In our world, it was commissions were good. When, When we could get some commission, it really helped. But we've got all of these, and then it becomes tricky because if you've got stock, here's what I ran into. I've worked a few times where we had a piece of the action, right? So we had skin in the game. That's what the customer would say. In reality, we had a problem because if the customer went off on a different path, all of a sudden, we have skin in the game and no power to protect it, right? We right. either have skin in the game and power or I want to be out of the game. And I found it very frustrating. I had a couple clients who said, okay, here, you got skin in the game. You're going to get a piece of the action. Oh, by the way, we're going this way now instead of that way. And I knew that they were driving themselves into disaster. And But we didn't have any ability to control that. So I think it all gets really subtle because it, at the top level, it seems, oh, this is easy. Look at this. There's these different ways to do it. 
at the bottom level, there's all the weird things that can happen that make us either regret what we did or find out that this method doesn't work. Like I found that clients, in a lot of clients would enjoy the idea of skin in the game, but the idea is different from the reality of it. Right. My experience is really with tech startups in the Valley mm-hmm. and there the equity that you get is the company, not the profit of a particular product, Yeah. Mm-hmm. nor even the profit of the company itself. And that can really work. As I mentioned, I do know agencies that have made serious money mm-hmm. because they held on to that equity and the company went on to be a big hit. The problem that I see is there's also a lot that can lead to that equity being nothing. One is it vests. And if you're still not working with the company, at some point it can expire. So you have to pay attention to the expiration of the grant and what do you need to do to preserve it if you now have to spend a lot of money to actually realize it and then you got 10 years. And so be careful on when it expires, point Mm -hmm. one. Point two is, like you said, you have no power on where the company goes. And of course, dealing with startups, by definition, most of them don't make it. So you're essentially becoming a VC without a portfolio. So the agencies that I have seen that do well are the ones that are very consistent in demanding that they want X percent of their bid to be paid in stock or pay in RSUs or options, whatever the model is these days. And then it works because if you're doing it consistently across all of your clients, then that that gives you more of a risk management. Mm -hmm. But then the other aspect is the administration of it. Some companies are okay granting equity to a person, but not to a company. Right. So now you have to worry about how you administer that. And that itself is a complexity. So it's not so easy. It may be a great idea, but you have to know what you're doing. I think one of the things I came to grips with, because actually in the direct response television business, there were a whole bunch of companies that would offer to do, we'll make this on points. Although usually they would have all their costs covered, but a lot of their costs were internal. So in fact, they were making profit and then getting points. But they would promise that. What I've discovered is, it's like a business model. You have to base your business around that idea. You also need to base your business around having enough investment up front so that you can make you know, make it through the shallow times. Because if you're, suppose you're doing it for very little profit on the project and you have four projects with very little profit and you haven't gotten anything back from them yet, you got to make it through the slim times. And that takes, it's a business model. And so what I found is we couldn't go in and out. If somebody came in and said, well, we want to do it this way, I fully agree with you. Either you have to commit to it on all your projects or kind of stay away unless it just happens to be, yeah, I've got some shares back in my file cabinet and maybe they'll be worth something someday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have seen agencies that basically calculate the bid as they would have done anyway. And they just add another 10% to it that they would demand equity for. And that's their model. I've seen other agencies where they say, here's my bid. I'm willing to accept equity for 10% or 20% of this amount. But for that 20%, I want whatever your valuation of the company is at the time, I would like a 50% discount to that. And then I would like it be granted as we go, or I would like it granted up front. And mm-hmm. here's our the expiration, the vesting mechanism. And if all of that is good for them, then they will accept to do it. Sometimes the companies have latitude to accommodate you. Sometimes they don't. 
They say, here are the terms that we can provide, and then you can decide whether you want it or not. As we were talking about it up front, one of the things I think that a lot of people forget is that the idea of compensation based on quality of work, which is the idea here. Okay, well, if you do well and the company goes public, then you get rich. But the idea of compensation based on quality of work is lovely, fits really well with free market theory in execution, can be really dicey. And I think here about, especially about Hollywood, where there's tales of the Hollywood studios having deals with people, and the deals are always on net, right, on nets for the movies. Well, the Hollywood studios apparently know how to throw everything into net. Oh, wait, there's a box of paper clips. We forgot to put them in the net. Mm-hmm. And basically, so that there's a lot of stories from people who are very unhappy with what they end up getting paid by Hollywood studios because the they know they're masters at the game of how do you reduce the net so we don't have to pay as much to other people. And it's tricky because once you've got that kind of cash out there, then all of a sudden, I think it changes people's heads about how they're working things. So in the studio case, the studios are doing that. In the case of the people making things, it can really change them too. I mean, I saw cases in the infomercial business where the guys making the infomercial then would only care about hard sell, yell and sell shows, even if that was to the disinterest of the client. So they would make one thing, which is this yell and sell, hard sell show that would hurt the client brand and the client no longer had control of that because of the deal they'd worked out with the production company. And it was really, it was a real hurt to the client who offset they were going to get something decent because they had paid points. But yeah, well, I think you raise a really good point. Incentives are going to incentivize and they better be the right incentive. So from a client standpoint, you want to be careful how you incentivize your suppliers And if you incentivize them the wrong way, they're going to be incented to go that way, right? Even if they're really good guys, it's hard to like keep remembering that that's what you want to do. So also the other thing is traditional keep it simple stupid becomes keep it indisputable stupid. Whatever calculation that you use has to be crystal clear, no room for misinterpretation or even interpretation. Like, what is a profit? Like you say, share of a profit. Well, how do we calculate profit? <laughs> it has to be like exactly simple, mm-hmm. indisputable, no discussion. Mm-hmm. If you do that, then that works. And then finally, you have to be dealing with people who are not trying to renegotiate the agreement every time it doesn't suit them. And that's a problem. If you're an agency and your client doesn't want to pay you, well, that's a problem. Or they want to pay you not the way... I think it's for a lot of these reasons, people end up with a simpler model, which is, hey, hourly, pay me, or here's a full project, pay me, or here's a retainer, and here are the parameters and what we can do within that window and that envelope. Yeah. Well, and I think, yeah, I think that really is it. I guess the term that came to, to mind for me is unintended consequences. Exactly. And that's yeah. the problem with all these games that are incentivizing people is anybody who's made an incentive for a sales force knows about unintended consequences, right? You put the incentive out there and then the salesperson hits their number and goes and plays golf the rest of the year. Meanwhile, back at headquarters, you're thinking, but wait, they could sell more for us. And the sales guys, your salesperson's like, hey, I did what you asked me to do. And so I'm off playing golf. And sometimes that's just fine. But when you're thinking it 
headquarters that you've got a guy selling for you 12 months out of the year and they sell for eight months because they hit their quota in eight months, you've got an unintended consequence and it can be really frustrating. So I think all these methods have some risk of an unintended consequence that can be really frustrating for the company. I found some real serious issues for companies if there was a share of profit involved where it made sense the first year. The company would be okay with it the second year. By the time you got three years out, the company begins to get really frustrated about still paying some kind of money on something that happened two years ago. And there's a lot of ways that you can craft these things so they sound brilliant when you sign the deal and they end up ensuring that your client hates you in three years. Wow. <laughs> well, but that also requires an agreement that stands the test of that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe there is a time limit to it that you do it for the first two years or you do it to this particular dollar value. And then beyond that, you manage it differently. But all of this is just the complexities of assigning a monetary value to a non-monetary value. How do you do that? Yeah, I think it is. And I think one of the challenges we have in business is we've come to rely on numbers, which because business has always been about numbers. And we need to rely on numbers. On the other hand, we don't have enough respect in business for how little numbers can actually represent. For example, we all know that like a, a roadmap is missing tons of information. And it is only effective for us to find our way from point A to point B because it's missing that information. I don't need to know about every tree along the road. I just need to know how to drive from Portland to Seattle. And numbers are similar. They always miss information, but they can be highly useful for us when used wisely. But I think we forget the always miss information part. Numbers cannot capture a great deal of what we need to do in doing business. Even what we want from somebody we have a deal with, like sales forces, or somebody hires an agency like yours to help them on a project, there's a ton of stuff you do that probably can't quite be quantified or can't be quantified easily. And the best way for that to work in a relationship is for there to be trust and reasonable payments so that you guys just do it. And the company knows they're getting it and it works okay, I assume. I don't know. I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, but it's, <laughs> uh, it's tricky. And numbers do not, cannot represent everything. I start to say that I think really no set of numbers can represent more than about half of what we want to know at any point in time. And unfortunately, it's a lot easier to talk about the numbers than the half we don't, they don't represent. So yeah. we just go talk about the numbers. You know, a, a couple of episodes ago, I was saying that it's supposed to be what gets measured gets done. And in reality, it becomes what gets measured gets gamed. Maybe I'm going to elevate that to a bit of a quote because it's it seems to really fit the various discussions. Any numerical description is going to be exposed to that. Certainly if you use it often and if you make it, if you make it the litmus test for anything. Yeah, I think in the book I'm writing, what I've done is I've separated measures, which Mm. are just numbers. They represent something. Oh, look. Okay, we seem to get this. Great. From metrics. And I call something a metric when all of a sudden there's a goal as Mm. well as rewards or punishment associated with it. Because Mm. if you think about that seriously, when you make it a goal, it adds an incredible psychological load to that. Yes. Because now you could get punished for that number not being exactly what somebody else wants to see. All of a sudden, it's no longer a measure. And that's my comment. Once a measure becomes a metric, it's not a measure anymore. A few people can use it well still, but you have real serious risk of it becoming gamed, of it misleading people. 
And it just is, it's weird because it transforms the numbers into not being just a number anymore. You've brought in carrots and sticks to the discussion. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And by doing so, let's try to complicate things more. By doing so, you've added bias Mm -hmm. to the number because now it means something more than it did before. So it does. And interestingly, all numbers, I think, carry a proxy, right? A proxy means the number represents something else. And all numbers represent a proxy. I mean, if I say I've got three apples, that's a pro- the number three is a proxy for how many apples I have. Is it a good proxy or bad proxy? I don't know. It depends on how many apples I want to have. If I have mm-hmm. a family of 10 and they all need an apple, three apples is a bad thing. If I have two teachers and I want to give them each an apple, Three apples is a good thing. So even in a really simplistic, I know that's a really simplistic. Yeah, yeah, I I get your point though. Dear listeners, I understand that's really simplistic. (laughs) But still, the number three doesn't just represent three. It represents three apples. The minute it represents apples, it starts to have a proxy meaning. Mm -hmm. So once you get into a number representing whether you achieve your goal for the quarter or not, oh Lord, that number is loaded with proxy like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. So another topic that that we were talking about before was the definition of quality. Good time to switch to that? I think so. Yeah, it is. I and I love the topic because I think it's a I've run into it quite often in my career and I think it's a really intriguing one. I think partly because when we use the word quality, it sometimes carries almost a moral implication with it, right? I mean, inside companies, quality, oh, it has a moral quality to it, which is, so speaking of quality, but it has a moral aspect to it. And I think, in fact, it's really hard. If you're going to have a serious discussion of quality, you end up needing to say, what is exactly the quality level we need to be at? Or how do we define that quality? And there's landmines everywhere around that because there are people for whom it's got to be, quote, the highest quality is the only thing they can say. The problem is, what is highest quality? There is no such thing. It's a vague and ambiguous term. What is highest quality? You cannot specify exactly what that is. I mean, we've been talking about the iPhone, someone in the pre-show, and I think the iPhone is fascinating by how many people when it came out said, oh yeah, but it doesn't use all the highest quality tech. And, And interestingly, what I would say is, no, what it does is it pulls a lot of, let's call it mediocre tech together into a brilliant device. It didn't need the highest quality tech in every area. It just needed to work together brilliantly, and it did. And everybody was running around trying to do perfect tech in every aspect, never made it to market. Yeah. So So I think quality shows up everywhere, certainly on the product side and engineering side, we see it. But where it also shows up is in marketing, because if you grew up in marketing, you want to do things that are beautiful, that are well-designed, that are hitting the mark, that generate whatever it is. So you have a very legitimate propensity to want to do a really good job, Mm -hmm. right? And one of the things that I have seen throughout my career, and I've been on all sides, by the way, I'm guilty of what I'm about to say myself in a big way, because sometimes I pay attention to every little pixel and way beyond what anybody would notice, but I notice. And so there's definitely that. And I applaud marketeers who bring that kind of high standards to what they do. However, it is occasionally 
the case that the business wants something and wants it in this particular time frame and it, this particular budget. And it's like simply not practical to take it all the way to a Francis Ford Coppola kind of a quality movie where everything has to be authentic because it just needs to, right? Mm-hmm. And then of course, it's a good idea if you can do that. But sometimes that's not possible. So what do you do? Well, I actually, I'm not even sure that it's always a good idea if you can do it. Because I think, actually, if you look at quality, let's stick with movies for a minute, since it's a world I know a bit about. The more heavily produced an ad is, the less believable it is in some ways, right? So so we would do <laughs> interviews with people, right? And you do interviews. And the company that I used to work for, where I cut my teeth, they always did these really artsy, cool interviews. So they would set somebody on a stair And they would be shooting up at them with the camera dutched and beautiful colors and all this stuff. And I spent a lot of time in focus groups with people watching those. And the people would say, bullshit, because the person looked awkward. Nobody is comfortable talking in that position. That's not a normal place for somebody. So in fact, we pretty much did straight on interviews or handheld interviews. And you know what? They feel real. They feel real because it's the production that fits with the communication. So Coppola is brilliant way to go for some communication, not for others. So, But it kind of comes back to this question of quality. Let me give the example I, I gave you before. I once worked with a client. They had a new product. We took the product out. We did research with it. We gave it to people. They used it in the field. And we got back to the company and said, look, we think this product will work really well for you but it cannot be priced higher than $29.99. And I said, it's really clear. They just don't give it that value. They will not pay more than that, but they like it basically at that price. And the company said, okay, great. So they went off and they said, well, we have to do some work on it to make it better. Okay, great. And they took it off and they went off and made it better. And they came back and said, here it is. It's great. It does everything it should. Okay, so I said, great. They said, oh, it's 50 bucks. And I went about ballistic because... The whole thing about this is going to work was based on the price point. The price point mm-hmm. was critical to it. So now let's turn that around to quality. What, and, and actually what they had done was they had built standards for what the product needed to do that were out of the ballpark crazy, far beyond what people needed it to do. And those had driven the price up. And so here they had decided quality meant this top of the line thing. For example, I think they, it was a saw. They specified it had to cut a six by 12 inch beam. And for what it was designed for, that's a huge cut, really intense. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. A two by six would be fine. And that's what these people need it for. I don't know. They had to do this big thing. But it comes back to this question of quality always has a price associated with it to some degree. What that's right. High quality for that price. And if the customer won't pay more than $29.99, don't make it too high quality for that. That's right. That's right. You're that's layering right. on things that are beyond what the customer expects of it. Mm. So I think really the key point for the marketing folks amongst us is the customer gets to define what quality is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your job is to understand the full spectrum of quality Mm -hmm. and the trade-offs that are necessary to deliver it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what the client, what your management, what other team members need to know is what do you think is a good idea to do or a bad idea to do? What is it that you just don't want to (laughs) do? What is it that you can do, but it requires this kind of a trade-off, right? If they understand that, then they're in the same boat with you and they can understand and you can all both get on the same page. 
But if you go in with the idea that it's going to have to be like this, or I just don't feel like doing it, then you're just kind of withdrawing from the project rather than helping it. And if you do that, you're also missing quality in a sense. Because, exactly. I mean, the, really, our goal is to give customers what they need. and You're imposing you know, your quality on the project, and that's only valid if it is actually the right thing for the business and your client or your team member, your management is just doesn't understand what they're not going to get. So then you have to spell it out. They can say, we can do it your way. And we can have it within the time frame, and we can do it within the budget that you want, but it's going to be missing this, that, and the other. And if three weeks later, we're going to not have the same customer, the right, the expected mm-hmm. customer reaction or the expected revenue, you're going to be unhappy about it. If that's okay with you, let's go. But I imagine it won't be. So maybe the better way to do it is to go this other path where it's a little bit more methodical, a little bit more nuanced, a little bit more this, and therefore you're helping define what the right quality should be, Mm -hmm. but you're letting that quality be defined together. I think actually the, the interesting thing to me is quality is a complex result. Now for brief recap here, complexity involves parts that interact and adapt and lead to a whole result that's different from just adding up those parts. Okay. And I think quality is an interacting thing. There's no absolute that tells us what quality is. Quality is relative to what customers expect, to what we make, what we're proud of. I mean, there's all these things. that Actually, quality is the attributes that the customer wants. So I was giving you this example some time ago. If you're shipping computer systems to customers, the arrival date is part of the quality. If you're selling a million-dollar system, we talked about supercomputers last time. Yeah. Those things need to arrive on the day that you said they're going to arrive. Arriving early is bad. Beat your goals by showing up a day early. They're not prepared to accept it. Yeah, you gave the customer a headache by showing up a day early. Right, because they need to hire other people to like staff it and absorb it, you know, take it, etc. So that becomes so-called critical to quality, CTQ, in the parlance of Six Sigma, because that's what the customer wants. If the customer wants it to be yellow, then that's the color that they want. It's critical to quality. You don't get to define that. They do unless you are collaboratively designing it with them, in which case you can influence what that set of attributes looks like. So my point is that the definition of quality is not a preconceived notion of it is reliable, it is beautiful, it is like, if I need something for the next two years and I intend to replace it after that, I don't need something that's designed for 20 years. Four years, maybe. But so that's like becomes more complicated. You can't go in with the preconceived notion. Well, I think that this is where I think my favorite example is the marketing of McDonald's. And because I'm going to tell you, McDonald's is one of the highest quality companies in the universe. And I know a lot of people are going to go, really? That food? Well, the issue isn't the food. What does the customer ask of McDonald's? I'll give you what my wife and I asked of McDonald's on our road trips. We need a place we can go where we know the kids will eat what they get. And McDonald's delivering the exact same sandwiches in 10,000 restaurants nationwide, anytime anybody goes in to order them, is brilliant quality. How absolutely that happen? Man, that takes an incredible operation to pull that off. Now, we can make fun of the food, make fun of the quality, but let me tell you, when you've been driving four hours 
and you're in Western Wyoming and it's a greasy spoon that you have no idea what you're going to get or a McDonald's with a play structure, I'm buying McDonald's all the time mm. because it's would eat it and go there. And so quality, that's where I think it's, we get messed up with quality is that, that people will say, well, but, but, but McDonald's aren't they a quality organization? Yes, they are. By delivering reliable stuff every time, they're a high quality organization. Oh, they're extraordinarily quality. And the consistency of the product mm-hmm. across the world is really a very complicated, hard thing to do. Supply chain, taste, all of that stuff. To crack that is like incredible. Well, and the marketing of it is you got to know what it is that people want from it. Right. And McDonald's has figured that out and done a nice job through the years of doing that. By the way, we are approaching the end. I will ask you, did you see there's some new mini McDonald's coming out uh, okay. that apparently is going to be competing with Dutch Brothers, who you might know if you're from the Northwest. But there's a, there's a new thing called CosMC. And it's a chain. And let's see what they say about it. It's a afternoon pick-me-up. So I don't know what to think of this. I'm a little worried for them. But on the other hand, I think that they're realizing they, they're innovating and trying to do something interesting. And Well, they got on your radar, so they're doing something. Right. Yeah, they are. Well, I just kind of went, <laughs> what the hell is that? So. Excellent. All right, let's conclude this episode. Sounds good to me. I want everybody to prepare for a really great 2024. It's time for end of the year. Relax, enjoy family and friends, and let's move into 2024. Right on. So thank you for being with us all this year. I appreciate it. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Enjoy time with family and friends and celebrate, and we'll catch you next time. Take care. Ciao. That's it for this episode of The Marketing Podcast. Every episode is posted on orionx.net and shared on social media. Use the comments section or tweet us with any questions or to propose topics. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The Marketing Podcast is a production of Orion X. Thank you for listening.